Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Time now for the Yahoo Sports College Podcast with Dan Wetzel. I mean, you could say we are the party state. Nick Saban is doing PSAs where he's scolding his mask off for not wearing a mask. It's like a narc. <laughs> Up here in Missouri, we got girls gone wild. Pete Thamel. When we look back on this pandemic, the fact that we're excited there was golf trash talk related to college football mm. may be the peak of where we are right now. Yeah. It was awesome. And SI's Pat Forty. Stand up and tell all the kids that he just kneecapped. This is on us. We completely failed as an administration, as athletic leaders, as planners, as executors, because we took football and turned it into the biggest disaster in America. Here's Pat, Pete, and Dan. All right, welcome to the pod. Hope you all had a good Memorial Day weekend. I have a feeling that Sully is deep in debt right now after bidding like $250,000 to buy Peyton Manning's golf cart from the weekend. <laughs> Sully was on he was at work early today man sending emails setting up the show he's making sure he, he must have just picked up some golf cart payments <laughs> and what was the one that cost to like did he have a smoky driver head cover or anything you know uh, he had he everything he had, a, he had yeah. an old smoky driver head cover yep and, yeah. and uh, Tom Brady almost stepped on it this is during the oh. match oh, if you don't boy. know Tiger Woods and Peyton Manning versus Phil Mickelson and Tom Brady. Uh, he also had this. They all had tricked out golf carts, but everyone has a logo. That's how <laughs> Tiger, Phil and Tom all have logos, their own yeah. logos. That's when you made it, man. <laughs> yeah. When you've not not only to have your own logo, but the, somebody's willing to put it on a golf cart for you. Yeah. And then someone's willing to bid and buy that cart because you got the TW on there. Yeah. I mean, dude, those retirement communities down like Florida. You're rolling heavy there now. If you are like a widower and you got your tricked out black Tom (laughs) Tiger Woods, the widows are coming out, flocking to you, man. You're going to give you be more popular than Tiger at a Perkins. (laughs) (laughs) that's the septuagenarian version of uh spinner rims huh you got it's like a maybach you kidding me (laughs) i mean good times you got a bit on that so manning's had like the tennessee checkerboard end zone on it and 
I mean, it was pretty sweet. I just thought Sully, Sully was frothing at the mouth. We're saving the money we made from the match, fellas. We're not spending it. Oh, you gambled on the match. Oh, yeah. Okay. Was this like, was was watching Manning beat Brady some kind of revenge for like Charles Woodson beating Peyton Manning for the Heisman? <laughs> no, 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 no. Nothing will forgive that. <laughs> <laughs> did, did the high of watching Manning win equal when a rival's three-star from Powder Springs pops <laughs> for the Vols, Sully? Like, is, is, was, it, was it equitable to that? I would say the three-star, but it's close. <laughs> yeah, Peyton would this. not wear... T- the Tiger Woods signature red and black because he said he didn't want to wear Georgia colors and give Kirby Smart a recruiting advantage. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> the graphics department just waiting for the, the Photoshop opportunity there. <laughs> it really does mean more. Manning <laughs> played pretty well. Brady was terrible. Brady has an a, a claims to be an eight handicap. Um, yeah. <laughs> I no. thought people lied about their handicap the other way. You know? That's well, there's two types of people in golf. The ones that lie up, like all the dirt bags where I play, <laughs> cheats and louts. And then there's the ones that that, that are the vanity clubs. And Gosh. also, so you know, like one guy's yeah. an eight, one guy's a one guy's a sixteen, and they're both twelves. That's the difference. But you, the sixteen's <laughs> gonna be every time. Which uh, way I mean, do you lie, Dan? Yeah, yeah, you lie up or lie down? Well, you know, I have no comment on that. <laughs> <laughs> I think we can hazard a guess knowing how much you like to, to win money from people. I don't know. what. I don't know. I'm a very, very honest person. I have no idea what mm-hmm. you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm too erratic to even, it, it even matter. But at the, I'm, not a, I'm not an eight. I'm, I'm, uh, so if you get higher up, you can, you can move a little bit more. But like when you're, if you're claiming you're an eight, eight handicap or a six, like, you're pretty much going to play within a couple strokes of that. But man, Tom Brady, if they had kept score, was heading for like 115. <laughs> I mean, I he could not that. hit the fairway. Yeah. He wouldn't even use his driver. I can relate that, to that. <laughs> I said that that That's Brady a, not even playing the driver is like the uh, the check down to Edelman. That's I mean, that <laughs> is who he is, man. You know, he still won the longest drive, though, over Manning. He did by a he foot did. or something. But yeah. Uh, I thought it was great fun. So, and there was a lot of yeah. college football yapping. Yep, yep, it uh, was fun. We had uh, what was it? Justin Thomas was the uh, he was from Alabama, and uh, Barkley was yapping about Auburn. Did a yep. great line. Justin Thomas is from Louisville, Kentucky, and a graduate of Saint Xavier High School, but then went to Alabama. And yes, there was some good Iron Bowl trash talk there. Yeah, he even yeah. He even kind of even said, "I'm not that smart." I went to Alabama, so I don't know what Saint X was doing for him. <laughs> As Barkley said, "We love all you Alabama guys. You all have your GEDs." <laughs> <laughs> Good line. When, when we look back on this pandemic, the fact that we're excited there was golf trash talk related to college football mm. may be the peak of where we are right now. It yeah. was awesome. It was like yes, it was. When, it was when great. Barkley was trashing Brady, and Brady stuck the the you know hit it from about 110 or so out. Yeah, and and hold in. I mean, that was one of the three greatest moments in sports this year. It's <laughs> <laughs> true. It's phenomenal. It's like, oh, yeah. this is. It's like, all right, yeah. I'm not doing well. I'm clearly not an eight handicap, but I got some. I'm still Tom freaking Brady. All right, I can do a little bit here. I would say that the three televised highlights of the pandemic 
was the uh, the mullet perm security guy beating uh, Jordan pitching quarters, yeah. the NASCAR dude flipping off the other dude while standing on the track, and then uh, and then that. Yeah, for sure. Got got to take what you can get. Take what you yeah, get. That's all we got. So it was it was pretty good. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know what Brady was doing. I understand he's he's trying to play football. He's not a retiree or a professional golfer, but I mean, he won uh, six Super Bowls. He married a supermodel. He's pretty much got the perfect life. What do we expect him to just like be, you know, just like blitz the golf course too under the? I mean, yes. that's a that golf pressure is a different kind of pressure, especially when you're not good. Like I can't relate <laughs> to the pressure when you're good at golf, but when you are not good and people are watching you, that is like. Instant puberty sweats, like, and and you got to kind of like be on point to be witty and funny and like be in it and like you can't just like all bad golfers can relate. You're just gonna go in the tank for like three holes, you know, oh, and then you need right. something to like pull you out of it. You need like that one wedge or that one, you know, that's just a, that little something to give you that lift to get you back going again. So I had empathy for Brady as he clogged around because we've all been there, right? Some sure. of us have lived there. Yeah, I know. It's the holes. only place I've ever resided. Yeah. yeah. The blow up holes just go. Yeah, it's the worst. And then, of course, you know, you're playing with Mickelson and Woods, who <laughs> it's like their idea of a bad hole is a bogey. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You know, for most people, bogey golfer is a decent golfer. That's pretty. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I'd well, sell an organ golfer. to be a bogey golfer. Yeah. Right. Yeah. These, and this is, uh, yeah, the competition. And then you're just letting down, you know, Mickelson. Yeah, that's but, the thing. Yeah, you're playing with the he's your partner and he's all he's he has always forced to go. That's okay, partner. That's okay, partner. Going, yeah, it's I, totally I good. Stink. I'm not competitive at all. I'm only Phil freaking yeah. Mickelson. I don't <laughs> want to lose my arch rival over there. Not upset at all. Yeah, it's all right. They raised 20 million. Good for them. Awesome. Brady went home to his 30,000 square foot mansion and cried on his supermodel wife's shoulder. So <laughs> chokes on us. Counted his Super Bowl rings. Yeah, yeah. Tough Sunday for Tom. Yeah, he's all right. All right. On the football front, uh, in terms of are we going to have a season, which I think increasingly there is certainly momentum. We are going to do this. I, you know, the, the mood has changed when you talk to people. And it's not just the people who are screaming, we have to have a season, but the decision makers. Like, I, I, they were in a dark spot about a month ago. And now it's like, all right, we're going to try this. It seems like. However, Tom Brady's alma mater, Michigan president Mark Schlissel, who happens to be a doctor and a university president, an immunologist uh, even, probably has a little bit more knowledge of what the hell he's talking about than like me, let alone <laughs> these other. It's a lot of these university presidents that is fundraisers, cheerleaders, political hacks. I mean, come on. <laughs> First Jim thing you learn, university president. So, you know, who's yeah. that? Jim Trussell is a university. Universe. Jim Trussell is a university. President. We all love Coach Tress, but you know, like the first thing you learn when you get to college is the guy in charge. You, you thought, like, I think growing up, like, well, if you're a university president, you're like the smartest of all the teachers, right? Like, they get all the teachers together, and then the the high school ones become college ones, and the call, you know, this is like. Yeah. It's like you the are the head league. coach of an NBA team. You must be a, but then as you learn, if you are a, an NFL or, or a pro f- fan, your coach sometimes sucks. <laughs> Doesn't know what he's doing. So in this case, we don't know, but this guy seems legit. He is pumping the brakes a little bit. 
He points out that Michigan is a multi-billion dollar operation, 46,000 students, grad students, research projects, all sorts of ties to business community, sports, as big as it is at Michigan, and we're talking $180 million operation, is not that big a deal to Michigan. And he says, if there is no on-campus instruction, then there will be there won't be intercollegiates, the collegiate athletics, at least for Michigan, he said. A decision for the fall semester may come in the next few weeks. Quote, any decision we make for these coming fall is going to be the case, likely going to be the case for the whole academic year. What's going to be different in January? Now, I find that second part pretty interesting, too. So if he sits there and says, we're going all online, uh, there ain't going to be M- no M go blue. I mean, it's just not happening, according to the president. Uh, also, thing I think is interesting is we have all of these schools that are saying, hey, we're going to start early. We're going to end on Thanksgiving. Almost every university from, I mean, as institutions as different as South Carolina and Notre Dame and all over the country are saying we're closing on Thanksgiving, which says, well, are you going to open in January? And if that's the case, then there's basketball and all the other sports. How do that? How's that work? So we'll start with you, Pat. Your thoughts on uh, President Schlissel and his comments to the Wall Street Journal? Yeah, you know, I mean, once again, the fact that we have a diverse nation with very diverse viewpoints when it comes to college football is reinforced. That. Uh, I think that, as you had noted, the, the kind of the bandwagon was filling up for football's happening. Let's go. Let's get the players on campus. Let's start voluntary workouts. We're going to have a season on time. We're going to have fans, everything, you know. And now here comes president of one of the biggest and most prestigious uh, universities in the country and one that has one of the largest fan bases in the country saying, eh, we'll see about that. So, you know, I, I, it just it, the, this thing is so different in so many different places, and the viewpoints are so different that it is really uh, difficult to try to pin down any kind of consensus. And it, it's two steps forward over here, and it's two steps back over there. And uh, I, you know, I look at specifically at the state of Oklahoma. Mike Gundy is like. Let's go. We're late starting already. We should have started May 1st. And you've got Lincoln Riley, uh, you know, championing being slower and telling people to wear masks. And then you've got Tulsa, which says we're not bringing anybody back to campus for athletics until July 6th. So that's one state. So then you extrapolate that to a whole country. And I think it's, again, one more reason to pause and say, let's see how, how much consensus can we get? And is it enough for everybody to to be happy? I mean, what what are we what kind of football season are we going to have? So I'm going to I'm going to carry on the presidential theme here because it's been interesting to see the evolution of the thoughts in in higher ed. On April 26th, exactly one month ago, there was a there was an op ed in the New York Times by Brown's president, as you know, Brown's president is Christina Paxson, and she wrote an op ed that a couple of ads pointed to me as a little bit of like an administrative tipping point. She basically said. Higher education and the reopening of college and university campuses in the fall should be a national priority. Institutions should develop public health plans now and build on testing, tracing and separation. And she pointed out this, like three million people are employed at uh, U.S. colleges, 600 billion 
in spending into the national gross domestic product. So those are just like as big as the college football numbers are that we deal with, like the higher ed issue here has always been the looming issue over college sports. So when the Brown president was advocating, all right, we need to figure out a plan to go back. I think that was the impetus on a lot of campuses to say, okay, let's figure out a way to do it. And as Pat pointed out, the South Carolina, Notre Dame, Syracuse, Marquette solution of let's come back early, chop off things at Thanksgiving break, not come come back and forth. I think no fall break. I think that's where a little bit of that came into play. So then we fast forward to today in the New York Times. You have the Notre Dame president, uh, John Jenkins, Father Jenkins. Now, obviously, this coming from the Notre Dame president is a little bit different than, as Pat said a couple weeks ago, the Auburn president with a bullhorn on the quad trying to gather everybody together and say, we're definitely going to do this. We're definitely going to do that. And he basically is, is you know, in this in this op ed today saying it's it's paramount to the university educating students moving forward to attempt to have, you know, kids on campus this uh, this season. And he makes a pretty interesting comments specifically to athletics. We believe we can, with aggressive testing, hygiene, and careful monitoring, keep student-athletes safe. Indeed, keeping healthy, relatively small cadres of student-athletes, coaches, and support staff is less daunting than keeping safe several thousands other people in the campus community. And the other thing he said, which I thought was interesting and germane to the show, uh, Father Jenkins from Notre Dame and the New York Times on Monday morning said, you know, fans in the stadium are a different matter. Notre Dame Stadium obviously holds 80,000 people. I see no way currently to allow spectators unless we restrict admissions so that physical distancing is possible. So I do think like within a month, we can sort of gauge where universities are gone and how they've gone over this uh, over this period. And I do think from, you know, a, a, a place like Notre Dame basically saying we'll be back. Athletics are coming back. Here's why. We can't just rely on science to do it. I thought it was a pretty important step as we, you know, as we kind of file, find mile markers to have sports in the fall. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, big money, it's a lot of things at it. I thought maybe the most interesting part of the Michigan thing was just how sports is important, but then 180 million is a lot of money, but not, as you said, $600 billion enterprise. And it touches all 50 states, communities, big, small, everywhere, and a lot of people. And so the money is obviously, Michigan can handle the money, apparently, and just shut athletics down for an entire year. Uh, other schools are going to be able to. One really interesting one, and we're going to get to some more Do we really stuff. think Michigan's going to shut down football? Sorry to cut you off, Dan. Do like, we really think... Like Michigan State is playing football. No. And Ohio State's playing football. Michigan's playing football. No, I think they're going to start. I think they will. Yeah. But I just, the big house is a big house and they have a huge fan following. But again, a very established, prestigious academic institution where the president's probably not at least going to get out in front and say, football's damn important. They're going to let the. Uh, that, that that tale, I think, would be less likely to wag that dog. Not saying that it did, isn't important to a degree and that the fans will care, but at the higher level of that academic institution, there might be a little more resistance. So is this the Michigan that uh, Jim Harbaugh ripped when he was at Stanford for letting anyone in? Or is this the Michigan <laughs> Jim Harbaugh now runs over where he says they can't get anyone in? Which, which one is it? I'm, I'm just curious. 
Yeah. Both. Well, ask Jim Harbaugh. <laughs> yeah. 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 Harbaugh said he's fine with playing games with no one in the stands. So, yeah. uh, I don't know. Oh, yeah, I think they're going to play. I think they're all going to try to start. I don't know what – I just don't know what's going to happen. But certainly is a lot more credibility than most. But here, here's why, though. Okay, UConn. Mike Anthony, Hartford Current, very, very interesting story about the University of Connecticut Athletic Department. Now, because of the men's basketball and women's basketball teams, which have combined to one uh, 78 national championships or something like that. <laughs> yeah, this decade. <laughs> this decade. It's won 11 in the last... No, I, I don't, they combined to win 22 in the last 10 years. No, um, <laughs> they act like a Power 5 team for the most part, but they don't have Power 5 revenue. And the move to the Atlantic uh, or the athletic uh, American Athletic Association was not American Athletic Conference. I don't even know the name of the conference. That's not helping. <laughs> I knew the Big East. Yeah, they're back. <laughs> Whatever that thing is. to say. It's only two words. So The like, American. Yeah. The American, right? <laughs> the American. So UConn has $80 million in, in, in annual expenses for their athletic department. They bring in $40 million in revenue. Bad uh, balance sheet. Don't need to be a business uh, expert to know that's not working too well. They balance the budget basically by using student fees. They charge each student an athletic fee. And that's basically how they come up with the other $40 million. As all these schools are doing, they're dealing with potential drop in enrollment. Some of these parents are not going to shell out the tuition if they're thinking there's going to be online learning. Blah, blah, blah. They're trying. The economy's got tanked. They're trying to drop chart uh, fees. So they are on a massive university-wide effort to cut costs. And that means they need to cut this athletic budget or find $40 million. And that just isn't going to happen. Now, uh, Anthony recommends and thinks it's inevitable they drop eight of their 24 sports. They have 24 right now. They dropped the 16, which is the minimum for Division One. It's pretty sobering, but he lays it all out there. I mean, that's that's a third of your team's gone. Again, it's a very good story. The current, it doesn't, you know, it, it shows there's just really no other way. Fans are buying more tickets this year for basketball, which shows how important it was to get back in the Big East and play Georgetown and Providence and Villanova, teams you they, they know and like, than Cincinnati and Houston and UCF and stuff like that. Football really screwed the athletic department up, in my opinion. But other than my dream of the New England United football team with the UConn, UMass combined, <laughs> becoming more and more of a reality. You thought it was a joke once, but huh? huh? Where's that headquarters? Yeah, Agawam or East uh, Long Meadow? Holyoke, yeah. man. Holyoke. That's Holy right. Holyoke. Holy Sorry. Sorry. Holy we don't Oak play home games. Birthplace of volleyball. A lot of people don't know that. Road games only. <laughs> no, we have no fans, so might as well just play on the road and take a bye every week. Just we're just all about making money there at the United New England United football program. Anyway, Pat, eight teams gone. What do you think? Because there was other drops. Central Michigan dropped its track team, and I don't know. They're dropping like flies out there. This would be unbelievable. Now, granted, this is a newspaper columnist suggesting it. This is not the athletic director or anything else. So I don't want to scare people about UConn's great school. Swords is beautiful, uh, but <laughs> kind of makes sense. He had that. And then Jeff Jacobs had a story in the Connecticut post the day before, and they both quote the athletic director basically saying we have to do this. So this sounds to me like a plant by the AD or the school to get everybody braced for what's going to come. 
If it's really eight sports, I don't know. If it is eight sports, it's maybe the biggest bloodletting we've ever seen, other than schools just simply shutting down athletics. Uh, and here's what, if it, if it comes to this, if it comes to, actually, if it comes to cutting any of the sports, but if it comes to eight especially, I want to see David Benedict, the athletic director, stand up and tell all the kids that he just kneecapped, this is on us. We completely failed as an administration, as athletic leaders, as planners, as executors, because we took football and turned it into the biggest disaster in America. They have had nine years running of complete and total ineptitude in football. They made a terrible hire in Paul Pasqualoni. He bombed. They had to get rid of him. They had to pay to get rid of him. They hired Bob Diaco after that. He bombed. They had to pay him. Oh, but here's what they did with Bob Diaco. His second season, he was so good. He went six and seven and lost the St. Petersburg Bowl to Marshall. So they gave him a contract extension and raised his buyout. And then they had to pay $3.4 million to get rid of Diaco, $5 million plus to get rid of the whole staff, so that they could make the brilliant decision to bring back Randy Edsel. How's that one gone? 6 and 30 for Randy, point 2.0. And we all know about the bonus structure in Randy's <laughs> contract. He got a bonus $2, for $2,000 <laughs> if you score first. $2,000 if you're leading at halftime. $2,000 if you're better in the red zone than your opponent, even if you lose 57 to 7. That is what I want that AD to stand up and tell all these kids, you guys got to go. But Randy Edsel's made maybe $200,000 in bullcrap bonuses. Remember the game Plinko on The Price is Right where they like drop the coin down? Like that's what Randy Randy Edsel's bonus structure feels like. It's just like <laughs> they put the coin in and it's like you get 10 grand for leading after the first quarter. Uh, you get you, know, you won the turnover battle. You get this. Uh, <clears throat> I I agree with Pat and first of all, no school at this point should have this many sports. Like the, the, like the lack of foresight here to get to this point. And then instead of instead of just managing what you need to do, so that UConn's goal all along was to get into the ACC, right? They worked hard to get in the ACC, and that's what they wanted to do. So if you really want to go to the ACC and compete, you needed football. Well, they failed at that. The Pascaloni hire, and, and Pat's written this to some extent uh, over the years, was one of the most significant failures of a hire because the football program had real momentum and it was going. And again, it's anomalous that they're good. There are no players in Connecticut. There are few players in New England. So to to build it to what they did to essentially be the, the, the tallest midget in whatever version of the Big East they were winning at the time was an accomplishment to, to, to some extent. But they really, to get, to fulfill their basketball destiny, they knew they needed football to be good. Now, they don't have a fan base. The, the, the stadium is over in, over in Hartford. It's not in stores. Like, it, there was never any, like, yearning desire amongst people in Connecticut to have Connecticut football be good. Now, certainly people showed up when they won and, like, you know, they had homecoming and everything else. But, like, the whole point here was 
for basketball to be good. And they they just needed to they needed to get to the other side of the river. And then they just made a string of disastrous decisions. And it was Jeff Hathaway who hired Pascaloni. That was really that that was really the initial debacle. I mean, Paolo Pascaloni was out of touch in the late 90s at Syracuse and was and then just went off to the NFL and they just thought he could snap his fingers and start winning 10 games a year there. And they were just they were just dead wrong. He had bad staffs. It was uh, it was a complete and utter disaster. And they they followed it up with more complete and utter disastrous decisions to end up to end up where they are. And now to do this, it that's going to be a bad day. I mean, that's going to be like a dark day in the history of the university when you send this many. I agree with Pat. I don't know if it was a plant. I feel like it was more of a trial balloon. It was kind of like, okay, let's let's like float this out there, and a few of our with you know, Mike Anthony and Jeff Jacobs are the two most prominent journalists covering UConn in Connecticut. So let's. Let's give them the the basics of this, float this out there and see how dark the reaction is. But that's like, I mean, if you're talking eight sports, you're talking hundreds of kids, you're talking, you know, dozens of coaches, support staff members, et cetera. No, it's going to be it's going to be a really bad day at UConn. And again, nobody saw a pandemic coming, but like th- this is this is using the pandemic to make decisions, you know, it's like they're, they're, they're living out, like never waste a good crisis. Like that's like the, the slogan on their t-shirts right now there. So no, they, yeah, I, they, I feel, were, they were already 40 million in debt before the, yes, before the exactly. Pandemic. Exactly. So no, I, I just think that's, it, it is going to be a gruesome scapegoating and uh, yeah, instead of just rolling out of bed one day on a Tuesday and doing it, let kind of giving people a little bit of a little bit of a cushion. Well, how would you feel like if you're a UConn student athlete right now, like, you know, like you haven't been on campus. There's a good chance your spring sports season was canceled. And now you're like, wait a minute, are they going to cut my sport? Do I go back? How do I transfer? Like that's, there are just the, the, the number of lives impacted by this are going to be just gigantic. And uh, yeah, I just feel awful, awful for the student athletes at UConn as, as now they're basically their, their, their futures and careers are just basically out there in the open, like a, like a, you know, like a, like a PR trial balloon. I, I, you know, this is, goes back to the conference realignment derby. As you said, Pete, they want to get in the ACC or the big 10. And it was like, one of these schools isn't going to make it. And it kind of came down to Rutgers and UConn and Rutgers got the call. And, and, and it might've been because Jim Delaney's from New Jersey or New Jersey's bigger than Connecticut or whatever it is. Rutgers got the lifeline and got the big 10 and nobody took UConn. And then they got stuck. And I, I look back on all of this and said, you know, they just even at the time I was saying it and I say it about uh, about UMass, the same thing, like you're trying to be what you're not and never will be. You got caught up in listening to these athletic director conferences and these uh, these consultants and the people who spin crap like, you know, you can't buy the publicity and the free marketing you get from the St. Petersburg Bowl. Yeah, yeah, you can. You can put up a bunch of billboards on I-95 <laughs> and get more students than the ones who are sitting there going, hey, UConn's in the St. Petersburg Bowl against Marshall. I, I think I might apply there. Like, what's you know, that's just not I how I wish it, it was the Beef O'Brady Bowl at the time. That would make yeah, this a little better. Be, it might have been the Beef O'Brady Bowl. <laughs> Your alumni are obsessed with the New England Patriots or the New York Giants. Like, it's just, you, it, it isn't going to work. Be what you are. Because the thing is, UConn was like, well, we have to have football or we're going to get left behind. Okay, well, you care about basketball. Did Villanova get left behind? No, they won two national titles. Seton Hall get left behind? No, they got a really good program now. 
you know, uh, invest in what you can be good at. You can't be good at football. It's never happening. Aaron Hernandez better have 700 cousins in Bristol because you ain't going <laughs> to fill the whole. That's the only, de- only guy any good. So slightly more sane cousins. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. More DJ Hernandez, less Aaron. Yes, but there you go. Even then, yes. you need Aaron to win. DJ was good. But anyway, it's not happening. Invest in your hockey program. Invest in your, you know, like if you want to have sports that kids can't go watch, we got to have the student body on uh, Saturday at the at the football game at a stadium that's a uh, forty five minutes from our campus. Like what? How about you just have a hockey game? Why don't you just stick with the damn women's basketball team yeah. and the men's basketball team? You're doing great. Everything's yeah. going good. You screwed it all up with this pipe dream. And I'm telling you, as this goes forward, and I hate this. But there's 130 schools playing Division I football. And as we all know, most of them are just grabbing on. And come on, where are you going with this? And so at some point, you got to be like, we are what we are. I don't know if that means there's going to be a split. I mean, it's kind of like the new. Everyone moved from 1AA to Division 1A. The old 1AA, UConn had a could could could, go play in New Hampshire. Go play Delaware, you know. Play your play your schools. Big game against Maine this weekend. That made sense. Go play football. They just declared themselves Division One and paid coaches. It's the same players. Just be. It's not like Alabama was walking into Connecticut and stealing fifteen four stars a year out of there. Yeah. Well, I've mentioned my cubicle theory before on on the pod, and like UConn is the ultimate test case for the cubicle theory. I remember going to the UConn Houston game two years ago. Houston was ranked in the top twenty five. It was uh, one of Kelvin's best teams. You know, it's like a like a Tuesday night in February, and that place was dead. I mean, it was dead. There was nobody there. Um, I went to the Memphis game this year at UConn. It wasn't as dead. But here's the thing. People didn't care about these rivalries like SMU have been good in years past in the AAC and they come in as a ranked team and no one cares. I don't know anyone who went to SMU. I live in New England. Dan, you grew up in Boston. Do you know anyone Never. who went to SMU? No. And it's the no. same thing with Boston College. Correct. Yeah. They no. can't draw a fly. It's yeah. like, oh, Clemson yeah. football. I'll go watch that yeah. or Duke, but don't yeah. care about playing uh, NC State. Yeah. So they went to the Big East about a year ago at this time. And the only real question there is like, what's hooked so long? Right. Like, I mean, there was just you have these I mean, Gino Oriyama, like who's who's one of the great coaches of this generation in any sport, would have to go to East Carolina and kick the tar out of like some poor, hapless set of girls in Mingles Coliseum before 800 people. I mean, they'd be up like 62 to 12 at the at half. Uh, their AAC record during his time there is just like comical if if you if you look it up and uh, yeah, they didn't lose. And so. It, like it, it just like what a waste like what a, what a just what a just waste and you know fans still showed up to some extent and to some degree but the fact that it took this long for UConn to say hey you know what maybe maybe we're not going to be competitive with Clemson and Miami in football maybe we should just sort of like tap the brakes become a regional program come independent like how how could you not have seen that sooner than this? As your revenues were declining, as you're you're, you're dealing with the fallout of Kevin Ollie, and, and everything's falling apart around you, nobody had the common sense to like rally around and say, okay, this is what our fans want. UConn fans want really good basketball, and they also want to play Villanova, Georgetown, St. John's, and Providence. 
they don't want to play like these other teams. I remember going there this last year and Phil Shardis, the old sports writers, the SID there now. And he was like, yeah, our Georgetown game in the, you know, in, in November sold out in 10 minutes, but they couldn't get anyone to conference games. Like this isn't complicated. You know, Ariama, AAC record, regular season, 118 victories, zero defeats. <laughs> what, what do you guess the over-under on average margin of victory was? I would say at least 27. Do you think he even scouts before some of these games? <laughs> I would. I, I'm serious. Like, do you even yeah. bother, like, going through the whole, like, we're going to run tape. We got to make sure we know their sideline out-of-bound play. Yeah. Tulane runs the high pick and roll. We got to watch, uh, you know. Your <laughs> own scrimmage is going to be better than anything you're going to play there. But here's the thing, you know, to your to you guys' point is, so they finally, they wised up late with the, with the move back to the Big East, but they still want to keep football FBS. Drop football to FCS, save a lot of money because you got 22 fewer scholarships to give. One of the big selling points uh, of, of going to the Big East is more regional travel, less expensive travel. Well, if you're in the FCS and you're playing, as Dan said, New Hampshire, Maine, they throw Villanova, play Villanova, play Georgetown football, you're you're saving money there, but no, no, no. We still got. We're still big time in football. You know, it's just, just wise up, admit it. You made a disastrous decision about football. It cost you dearly, and now you got you can try to rectify it as best you can. But you're also going to get rid of a bunch of sports along the way. You're going to lose a fortune at one AA football or FCS or, or whatever they call it. But yeah. you could win. Like I like North Dakota State's enjoying it, right? They're so not going to lose any more than they already are. Probably they're, not. They're, they are a minus 13 million last year in football. They three they had 3.3 million in revenue, which for FBS football is really small, and 16.6 wow. in, in expenses. Ouch. All right. Well, that's enough UConn athletics. Yeah, it probably is. All right. A big <laughs> image from the weekend. This really caught my eye. Video from the Lake of the Ozarks. The Lake of the Ozarks in Missouri. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw this. I think you did because it was everywhere. They had a wild gathering at a pool. It was like the behind a restaurant. There's like a restaurant with a pool. I've never, I didn't know anything about this. They Osage had a part, beach, baby. They had a party called the zero ducks given. <laughs> uh, masks and social distancing did not occur. The, no. the bar promised to operate a reduced capacity. If this was reduced capacity, I want to know what it was normal. Yeah, Woodstock. <laughs> you have more room in the womb. <laughs> Uh, wild party in the pool. Uh, one party goer, Tyler Crancer, told BuzzFeed, now that I think about it, probably not a great idea. But there is no law when you're drinking the claw. <laughs> it's a great white claw line. Nomination for quote of the year. Yeah, I've heard that a number of times, but I, I, I give t particular credit to Tyler for busting it out during an interview with the media. <laughs> On the record, during a pandemic, <laughs> rationalizing. <laughs> there is no law when you're drinking the claw. The mayor of the town said, I don't know how you would shut down the Lake of the Ozarks. There's no way to control that. You hear that? You can't stop the Lake of the Ozarks. You can only hope to contain it. <laughs> but Look, I'm going to be honest. I think this is a good thing for Missouri. I really do. I didn't even know people in Missouri were even allowed to have this kind of fun. <laughs> I didn't know the Lake of the Ozark even existed. This was wild. I thought their entertainment was limited to like arguing over rib joints 
<laughs> freezing a Chiefs games <laughs> and, and pretending that only Cardinal players race out ground balls. <laughs> no fun in Missouri, but apparently not. There's like this backwater Vegas going on. <laughs> so uh, my my question is your thoughts on the Lake of the Ozarks. And should Coach Eli Drinkwitz use this to recruit? (laughs) Because it is the the show me state, Dan, and they have certainly showed us something. They were practically (laughs) doing bottomless basket tosses in the pool there. (laughs) I mean, you could say we are the party state. Nick Saban is doing PSAs where he's scolding his mask off for not wearing a mask. It's like a narc. (laughs) Up here in Missouri, we got girls gone wild. Mizzou, uh, Pat Forty, you went there. What is going yeah. on? And I've been to Lake of the Ozarks. It's fun. It's nice. It's beautiful. You need to get out of your your northeast, upper Midwest bubble, Dan. Experience I do. a little more of America. Why was I not invited? Where are my friends from Missouri? Guys, yeah. always sound so miserable. It's either too cold <laughs> or too hot there. <laughs> That's generally true. But uh, yeah, now that. That was Lake of the Ozarks at what would normally be its best, but might have been its worst given the uh, the current situation. Uh, and, you know, chalk that one up as another one. We'll be watching, you know, in a month to see, check the contact tracing on all of those folks and see who all, who else they interacted with and how bad it gets. Maybe it doesn't get bad. I hope it doesn't. But might be um, worth it. <laughs> might be worth it. I don't know. But it's... Uh, you know, that that again goes back to I mean, there's people in some parts of the country looking at that and just absolutely losing their minds, thinking, how could you? And there they're like, yeah, why not? And I agreed that, you know, most of this is a younger generation that feels completely fearless and somewhat heedless to what's going on. And it hasn't really affected them as much personally. Uh, so they're going to do what they're going to do. But uh, that was not a good look for the Lake of the Ozarks, despite the, the potential recruiting advantage that you see there, Dan Wetzel. <laughs> Dan, did you watch Ozark on Netflix? I did not. You did not. Okay. Did they, pretty, is there I'm, stuff like that? Like I'm a bunch pretty, of bikinis yeah. and stuff? Well, there, is like, there is like a big lake boat party scene that, that, that pops up a few times. So I was going to make a few jokes about Marty Bird and the cartel and everything. Sully's laughing. He knows where my jokes are coming from. Sully, you watched you watch Netflix. You, you watched Ozark, right? Yes. Um, I, it, that was my sort of, you know, Northeast bubble, like uh, window into that that part of the country. And uh, that they do that there is uh, there is quite a bit of I guess I would call it nightlife, but it's really day life um, out in that uh, out in that part of the world. But I do feel like as politicized as all this covid stuff has gotten, like there are you know, you're feeling the extremes now. Right. Like you are feeling the people who are like raising a white claw to the dude and his quote. And then there's all the people shuddering at all this. And like that divide is getting like bigger and bigger and you're seeing it in football. You're seeing it when the, in like the just relentless cheering of the smallest Mordecai towards pushing back. It's almost like it confirms my views of the virus that in everybody else, everybody else took it too seriously, but we're, we're right. Cause football is going to be played and here's how. And so, and like, we're what, 10 weeks into this thing now, 11 weeks into this thing now, something like that, like that, like how how politically charged everything is and every every decision is looked through and the prism it's viewed at is only going to get stronger and stronger. It's exhausting. Yes, that's a good way to put it. It's Kick a good back way to put it. And, 
and recruit. I think uh, Coach Drinkwitz should get down there next weekend for a <laughs> photo op. <laughs> well, how do about some, do some keg stands? Try to get some three techniques that way. Well, to, I mean, you know. look, they got to do something at Missouri. It's a tough go. I, I, well, the, here's what they're doing: is the AD has said, "Yeah, we're not really going to test when our players come back." So they've got that going for them. Dude, the we're number of communicable diseases in that pool. Yeah. Did you? I mean, that thing. That, COVID is just one problem. Not to be outdone, Pat. If you you think that the people in Missouri are so crazy. <laughs> I will give uh, this guy credit. He was social distancing <laughs> in your neck of the woods, Crawford County, Indiana, which I believe is in uh, southern yeah. Indiana. It's right by Louisville, right? Yeah. 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 Not far away. All right. So I don't know why Indi- this got thrown on Indiana because <laughs> the river goes right between you or something. I don't know. It's the Blue River. Okay. Conservation officers and authorities in Crawford County, Indiana said they, quote, likely unquote, saved a drunk man's life Sunday on the Blue River. Pat, what were you doing Sunday? (laughs) (laughs) My whereabouts are a closely kept secret. All right. (laughs) After they said he passed out in a raft, quote, with a bottle of rum in his lap, end quote, and nearly went over the Milltown Dam. (laughs) So this guy chugged rum on a on a little raft as he was doing a, a, a lazy river float and then passed out drunk. The man and his bottle of rum floated more than seven miles on the flooded Blue River. The, the officers got nervous because he was heading to the dam. They were unable to get him to, uh, to, to like wake up. They threw bags and stuff to try to catch him. It didn't work. Uh, they were blowing whistles from the bank, everything. And meanwhile, he kept <laughs> floating closer and closer to the dam, but then luckily washed ashore. After medical evaluations, con- conservation officials arrested the man without incident on public intoxication charges. I don't know if we could people's court this, but. <laughs> <laughs> I give my man credit. You know what? He's got a good raft. Uh, it was to get to get seven miles passed out. That's impressive. That's impressive. With the bottle of rum in the lap. Uh, Blue River, that's a big, like, tubing river and everything. Yeah, it's like, I don't know, 45 minutes, half, 30 to 45 minutes from Louisville. So a lot of people go there. So this, I think, does just by annexation become Kentucky news of the weird this week. And uh, – <laughs> I shudder to think what would have happened if he had made it to the dam. I mean, I, that that would not have ended well. But the uh, <laughs> I, I want to know what my guy's uh, like rationale was or response was to the cops other than, hey, can you give me a ride back to where everybody else is? Because I'm now seven miles downstream. No, you got to go to the clink. <laughs> well, yeah. Conservation jail. Yeah. Was was he drinking with the Louisville dance coach or the Kentucky cheerleaders at the <laughs> start of this ride? <laughs> Perhaps both. Yeah, I think the guy should be let free because he was not he was social distancing. <laughs> there we go. The government's all over our case. Stay away from the other people. This this dude needs a little alone time, a little relaxation time, a little recreation. So he pumps up his little raft, buys his captain Morgan, lets the captain drive the ship. <laughs> <laughs> Can I second guess him drinking rum? Like, 
you know, if you're going to go, I, I want a little cooler a beer if I'm going to be out on a raft well, for that long. Wait right? down like, the, it'll wait down the raft. You got to see the picture <sighs> of this raft. It's like, it's not a like a boat. It's, it's like, like one a, of those things you float around in a pool. It's like a tire donut he got from his car. No, nah, it's like a like you lay down on it. I think the rum is a good call. It's like you're seafaring. You're on the water. Seafaring. <laughs> there we go. Pirate, you, pirate you, of the Blue when River. When you drink and drive boats, Dan, is rum your preferred drink? Yes, definitely. Absolutely. <laughs> the Pirate of the Blue River. I love it. Arg. I, I need more. I wish the the DNR law enforcement Facebook page where the story emanated would uh, update it a little bit. We have yeah. nothing new. That could be a quality ongoing saga. If I remember, I'll try to get some info for the next pod. But yeah, I'll could you get commit. out there? I want. I, here's the thing, Pat. I'm going to assign you this, even though you don't work at Yahoo anymore. Get drunk and see how many miles you can go down the river. <clears throat> you know, that's a challenge I would like to take up. Provided I can at least stop before the Milltown Dam. <laughs> Who's the uh, famous participatory journalist? The the guy who uh, you know back in like the fifties and sixties would George go like Plimpton. Yeah, George Plimpton. You could be you yeah. could be the George Plimpton <laughs> of river drinking. <laughs> George Plimpton of drunk rafting. Yeah, you've been waiting your whole life for this, Pat. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> Here's my chance. Yes. <laughs> All right, and and finally, in um, the ongoing battle between animals. Um, mm. We have some traitors in our midst. Uh-oh. Some humans are, tra are are being traitors. What? To the animal yes. side? Yes. A scientist have made a mouse embryo that's 4% human. <laughs> the highest level of human cells in an animal yet. <laughs> there is a, a mouse embryo that is 4% human. I repeat. <laughs> what the what? <laughs> what? <Yeah. laughs> Like, what? Why? <laughs> they claim they're trying to use it to uh, help disease testing. But I, I, where, where, at what point does this thing tilt over the, uh, what's the Rubicon here or something? I don't know. 51%, but still. No, it's uh, it's enough to make me concerned. I don't want man mice out there, mice men out there among <laughs> us. What are they doing? I just keep thinking of Splinter from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Like, <laughs> There's going to be an army of splinters. In fact, Dan, if this happens, you need to find the Hernandez cousins that you spoke of in Connecticut to get an army together to fight back the mice humans. We need we need like a special like a breed of special ops with two P's like the uh, Adidas black. Ops. It may be even yeah. higher than four percent. I that, that like. Yeah, I'd like to know exactly what the end game is in here and how far they can push it. And what what is it going to look like if they keep pushing it? They. Uh, Human animal chimeras, I don't know, have been a point of ethical debate among scientists. Geez, you think? <laughs> <laughs> Though they could be used to grow human organs for transplants, some scientists say there are serious risks that need to be explored. <laughs> the possibility have many researchers giddy with excitement, but they also raise serious ethical dilemmas about the moral status of part human animals. <laughs> Neuroscientist and animal advocate Lori Marino wrote, "Yikes! I, I just I, if it is a damn mouse that looks like a human, I'm just gonna just, I'm just giving up. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're all giving up if it comes right to now. That. A mouse gets in your house; it's kind of just annoying. You got to catch it, you got to kick it out, whatever. You got to you know those things wife, are scurrying, then, but then if that thing starts down. talking back to you." And then hiding, <laughs> talking back. To you. 
Uh, Honest, if a man mouse gets in my house, I'm just selling it. <laughs> There's going to be other ones. See, are, th- are these people, is this related? We need to get our guy, who's the like the rat doctor? Remember the guy that was like oh, the yeah. expert on, oh, on yeah. rodentology? He's, he's still talking up his rat wars. Maybe we get the rats to kill the yeah. man humans. We're going to yeah, have to partner. Right. Is this going to blur all the lines? All the old, <laughs> all the old alliances are over. It's like this World like War II. Realignment. New world Genetic order. Genetic realignment. Not we're gonna have to. We're gonna have to partner with the rats now. <laughs> Do you really think that's who we want to partner with? I don't know. I don't know. Depends how clear and present the danger is from the mice men. Here's this scientist. Uh, one of the scientists says we're just basically stupid. At the time of the first airplane, all the potential applications existed only in the minds of a few people. If the society were to decide it was a horrible idea for humans to fly, we would miss a lot of things that would turn out to be wonderful for everyone. A society that sees the world as what it is and not what it should be is an effective society that can move forward. Let me tell you something, buddy. (laughs) The airplane is not human. (laughs) Don't try to tell me that the ability to fly my family to Disney World is the positive, like you're creating a damn animal man. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. Uh, uh, yeah, that, that's a bad analogy from our scientist guy there. You can't you can't be saying uh, airplanes good, mice men good. No, 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 not going with that. Mice men, not good. Seriously, 2020, man. What is what a disastrous <laughs> year this thing's been. <laughs> been pretty bad. I don't Can know. Can we drop feel like- the next Ozark pool party to scatter everybody? Like, is that- <laughs> there you go. Make- this guy works at the University of Buffalo, Dr. Fang. His mm. name is Fang. <laughs> Fang, F-E-N-G. I mean, this is a, this is a movie. Hey, what could go wrong? We'll just make the mouse uh, part uh, human. Uh, we got it under control, right, Dr. Fang? <laughs> Jesus. Oh, University of Lord. Buffalo. I'm now rooting against you guys. <laughs> Keep an eye on Fang. Who's the coach up at UB? <laughs> Tell Lance Lance Leipold. Yeah. If yeah, you're we'll listening, Lance- keep an eye on this physiology and biophysics department. Yeah. There's a dude over there making mice into men. <laughs> Lance is we'll from like Dr. Green Bay. Fang. He wouldn't know what to do when he sees a rat. Like they're not indigenous uh-huh. up there. We're we're putting Dr. Fang on a watch list. Podcast you are on the watch, watch list. list. All yep. right. Good lord. All right. Have a good week. We'll be back Thursday for more uh, college football excitement. Please subscribe. Keep listening. Talk to you guys later. It's no secret that our world has been interrupted. A World Interrupted is a daily podcast telling stories of coronavirus and its impact on the economy. We want to cover the issues in the macro, global economics, the stock market, and our political climate. We'll also cover the micro stories, maybe the ones you don't hear as much about in the news or the media. We hope you'll listen and be a part of the journey. So subscribe today on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts.